This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 170. I am Joel Hollingsworth. I'm here with Will Shelton. Will, this is uh, episode 170, but uh, it's probably, what, uh, number 20-something in our ongoing series of group therapy sessions. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I was trying to think of out of 170, uh, how, how many of them, how many times did I feel worse than this? Uh, when we push record or like the other thing I'm worried about is I was trying to keep track of this last night um, is how quickly am I when we lose these games and and lose them this way which we'll talk about how quickly am I like well I don't really want to care about this right now so (laughs) I'm just gonna go to bed and move on to something else so uh, yeah on the list of uh, we've been doing this since um, uh, I, I started at Rocky Top Talk right after Kiffin was hired. So basically the, the entire post-Fulmer era. And uh, we've, we've done a number of these somber-toned podcasts. There's- and we've also done some, and, and I want to talk about this, where it is like um, there's some self-preservation maybe in just being like, uh, you know, what, what's the line there with apathy and those kinds of things? So, yeah, not, not – uh, not our greatest hits tonight, but also not unfamiliar territory, uh, for sure, which probably makes us uniquely qualified as bloggers for more than a decade of uh, this nonsense, I guess. You know, I had a dream the other night, that, and, I, and I don't know who I was talking to or what the context was, but I, I think I said the sentence, I'm just tired of writing about losing. I mean, it, it's been a long time. You know, and it just gets, you know, how many times we've, we've been through the humor, we've been through, you know, the therapy, anyway, uh, we've been through a whole bunch of stuff that we've tried to cope with and there's, there's not much, uh, not much you can say. Um, yeah. And I, I think more than losing, um, because like in this cycle of coaches, we're well acquainted with the year one losing, you know, like I, I can write about year one losing even even when it's Pruitt's team uh, beating Kentucky and then just getting waxed by Missouri and Vanderbilt there, or Butch Jones' team playing, uh, which is going to be familiar this year, playing top 10 opponent after top 10 opponent after top 10 opponent and looking bad. Like, I, I can do any of that in year one. Um, the, hardest, the hardest times to write for me, um, the, the two games that I just did not write a postgame for, uh, one was – Dooley's third year when uh, we lost to Florida, which was like a microcosm of what's happening right now in one game where Tennessee was ahead, went ahead in the third quarter and then gave up 700 yards of offense in a quarter and a half and ended up losing by 17. That's kind of a precursor of, uh uh-oh, South Cincinnati's defense might not be good. Um, But I just could, you know, after wanting that to work out for a long time, and then being like, oh, no, this may not work out. Um, and then the Butch Jones-South Carolina game in 16. Um, and I'll, I'll take a – my grandmother died that weekend, so I'll take a, a mulligan on that one. But just that same sense of uh, there's – writing about this kind of losing in year three um, is the least fun writing or, or talking um, that, that um, we can do. I wrote it. I should have said this before we went on the air. I, I have a post in drafts that I wrote that um, some of it may come out of this podcast that I feel like is one of the more, it's not dark. It's just not hopeful. 
Is that the um, wilderness post? Yeah. Okay. So I, I haven't scheduled that for publish because I'm still not sure exactly how I feel about it. And some of it will come out in this podcast, I'm sure. But yeah. Um, I liked it. I, that, because of the virus, that's kind of the thesis of that post. Is we've been talking about the wilderness for 12 years. But if Tennessee is really locked into all of these options because of the virus and money and all that stuff, then this is getting ready, I'm afraid, to feel, to feel more like exile. Um, not because it's going to be longer, but because the, the paths out of it uh, are, you're, you're just, um, uh, I, I don't like that sense of Tennessee may just have to sit with this right now because you're putting it on top of losing this way in year three. Um, uh, and, and which is just just no good. But that's that's what we're here to do is is try to talk about it. So um, be- before we get into the recap, I, I think we ought to maybe do just a quick re- recap just for uh, posterity. But uh, you were talking about you know just blowing off uh, the post game. How many times has that happened? And I, that triggered my memory that uh, this was November 23, 2013. Do you happen to remember what game we might have lost? That it was Vanderbilt. Okay. So I did Iraqi Top Talk. I did the uh, Pakistani post game. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I do. It was, yeah. It was three paragraphs. It says, This post game is the reason God invented virtual assistance from Pakistan. I don't want to write this one. Nope. So let me introduce Tariq, who will be your friendly post game blogger this evening. Hello, Tennessee Vols have gone to lost, which Vanderbilt Commodores this evening. 1410 on Miracle Behind to Come From. Yes, it sounds like Borat, which I haven't seen that movie, but uh, overturned down on review, follow, fail, deceptive field goal, attempt to three. There were many turnovers to behold. <laughs> Our yeah. front field returned home to sideline with no reward for season, but helps come with sunrise. So, yeah. You, you or the Pakistani post game wrote for you because I was at that game at night uh, with my wife in our first year of marriage and it was like five degrees. Uh, so I didn't write the immediate post game one because I was at the game and would have been driving back to Athens at that point And two, cause my hands were frozen. Um, but that is that loss, you know, was on the string of, uh, losing to Missouri in the old five to 30% game for long, long, long time readers and listeners of our stuff. Um, and then losing to Auburn, which those two teams turned out to be great, but just getting blown out in both those games. Um, but that game is also one of the many, 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 if one play goes different for Butch Jones um, things in, in every one of his years, which ultimately would have never worked because Butch Jones was, was he, he's going to be who he was and you can't ask him to be a totally different person. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Th- so there's, there's a lot of these. And I think that's a lot of Tennessee fans sense now is what do you say after that Arkansas game? And what you want to say is, I've had enough of this, right? So let's let's do something else. When you put it with the Kentucky game, and that's yeah. Um, I I wrote this in the post that I may or may not publish. Like, I tried so hard not to connect that Kentucky dot to anything else. To just say, look, if you throw two pick sixes in a row, bad things follow always. So let's just let that be. Hey, Tennessee threw two pick sixes, and that's what's going to happen and not be connected to anything else. But it's it's all the other offensive plays in that Kentucky game uh, and the defense in the second half, and then, man, everything in the second half yesterday 
you just get you get too many dots that that are connected there that that cause us to have to say what in the world is is going on here yeah so uh, just like i said for posterity let, let me just recap some of this and uh, correct me if i get anything wrong or if i get too uh morose about it so uh jeremy pruitt's third year right okay tennessee coming off a bye week against a rebuilding program they look like they'd rediscovered themselves. They unleashed this rushing attack that was not only working, but was ripping off like six, seven, eight, nine yards, really doing well. Looked like that uh, uh, offensive line was beginning to earn its reputation, you know? Um, and then um, the thing is, uh, th this, this game was a toss-up game, mm -hmm. right? So we expected it, the experts expected it to be close, but it, it just unfolded in a way that just didn't feel right, right? So um, anyway, the first half, uh, the Vols were looking like they, they, they were not going to have uh, any, any problem. And even with a hiccup here and there, they went in a locker room with a 13 to zero lead and they were like in control. So you felt like they were just gonna, they were just the better team, right? Um, but, <laughs> The uh, halftime locker room, uh, it has to house some sort of mind erasing contraption or something uh, because the team that took the field for the second half was not the one that left after the first half. Uh, they gained 16 total yards the entire quarter, 10 plays, 1.6 yards per play. Uh, and meanwhile, the defense gave up 24 points, 15 minutes. And uh, that was that. So just terribly disappointing. Um, it's like I said, it's the third year for Pruitt. We're having to come to terms with still being way behind our rivals, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and then also having to fend off an improving Kentucky team that, you know, they can beat you when you throw two pick sixes in a row plus two other turnovers. But now we're losing to a team that's rebuilding in its first year, all new coaching staff, a team that was the laughing stock of the SEC West the past several years. Man, this, this, this one's just really hard to swallow. So, yeah, and and I said this on the radio on Friday. I mean, you watch Arkansas in the other games. They, they've got fight. They've got heart. Franks can do some some good Felipe Franks things that he did at Florida. So if Tennessee lost this game because they fumbled three times or they missed two field goals and lost it by one, like that would have been upsetting, but it, it would have been um, a much better outcome than First of all, Arkansas was the team that did those things. They missed a chip shot field goal when it was 10 to nothing. Um, and they put the ball on the ground a thousand times. Tennessee didn't get on any of them. Um, but Tennessee, we, we talk about SP plus uh, a lot. And I also tweeted and put in that post today that, you know, this week right now, this is Tennessee's low point in SP plus, not 2017. Um, it's, it's now, uh, play to play Tennessee's offense, especially um, with Garantano at some time, certainly in the last three, four weeks, but once he was knocked out of the game, I mean, Tennessee's offense just goes nowhere, literally. Yeah. Um, it was so, like night and day, you know, and they were, it's not like they were struggling before and just doing a little better. They, they were, they were doing really well. And then all of a sudden nothing like somebody turned off the lights. Yeah, and I think there's a number of different, you know, factors at play there. It, it, you know, look, it may turn out, may turn out South Carolina's just no good 
Um, now, I mean, they beat Auburn, uh, and and maybe this year is a little bit of kind of an NFL year where anybody, mostly anybody, can beat anybody on on a given uh, Saturday or Sunday, as it is in the NFL. Um, but uh, you know, South, that South Carolina performance to me holds less weight. And even if you take away what Tennessee has done, I think I think South Carolina is is worse than I thought, um, and Missouri. Man, Tennessee caught them the right week. Uh, you know, Basilak was still getting it going, and that was a team that you could push around the way Tennessee pushed Arkansas around uh, in the first half, and, and it worked. Um, but now offensively, I mean, you're just kind of – and maybe Chaney and these guys are at a point where they will just have no other choice but to do this. But, I mean, you go back. I, I looked this up just a second ago. At one point, Garantano against Georgia was 11 of 13 for 124 yards and two touchdowns in the first half. So we all know what happened after that. But, like, early in that game, they were willing to do some things and take some chances and try some things. And they did against South Carolina, I think, because they had to in the ebb and flow of that game. But, um, you know, what what we saw from Garantano last night before he got knocked out of the game was – I think fine to win last night, the five of eight for 42 yards. He had a, he had a couple of nice throws uh, in, in there, um, but fine to win that game, fine to beat Mississippi State last year. Um, but that offense would have no chance against Texas A&M or Auburn or Florida. I mean, you're going to have to score a ton of points. You can't do it that way. Um, but so I don't know. And, and we've written about uh, Garantano's, when he turns it over, he turns it over in bunches, all that stuff. Um, but you're gonna have to you're gonna have to call this thing with uh, less fear at this point in time. You're gonna have to go downfield again. You're gonna have to try some things again. And you know, even, even if Garantano is healthy, that game plan ain't gonna cut. It's not gonna score nearly enough points against Texas A&M um, or Auburn. Or you're gonna have to let Harrison Bailey do it. Uh, so uh, you know, there's there's gonna be. If Tennessee is going to get blown out by Texas A&M, I'd rather get blown out taking shots downfield and trying to do something than going three and out every series because you've run it, run, run, third and seven, and we'll either run the draw or, or you know, somebody will throw into coverage. So that, that again, that's the thing. It's not the first time with Tennessee in the last 12 years, but there's losing, and then there's losing when it's, 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 not, it's not just aesthetically unpleasant. Yeah. Um, it's so, so inefficient. Um, and I, again, they called it in the first two and a half games, uh, not the Missouri game because it was working, but against South Carolina and in the first half against Georgia, and they probably called it this way in the second half against Georgia, just turned the ball over a bunch. Um, you're you're going to have to go back to that kind of aggressiveness to have any shot, any shot against anybody other than Vanderbilt the rest of the way. So even before he got hurt, I mean, what they were doing was fine to win last night, but that, that ain't going to fly the rest of the way, no doubt. Yeah, I, I've heard people uh, talking about that, and I didn't really think that um, the game plan last night was designed out of fear or, oh, no, we have to protect ourselves from Garantano. I thought it was just the right, you know, looking at the stats, looking at the respective strengths and weaknesses of each team it looked like the right play because uh arkansas is better defending the pass we also had sort of a tendency to uh to be a little careless with passes 
Um, and the only place that we were actually kind of equal was in the run game. So it looked to me like, well, they better come out and, and run. And uh, if they got into third down and long, then they better play safe or they're going to throw a pick and, you know, live to punt. So I was not surprised at all by that game plan. And I think it was specifically designed for Arkansas. So I don't think that that necessarily indicates that they were fearful or that we won't see a different game plan for a different opponent. Um, it's just the third quarter came and everything was just wrong. You know, um, I don't know if is Garantano's ability to um, direct the run game really that important because, you know, I guess we haven't said this, but anybody who's Vols fan knows what happened last night. So he Garantano uh, took off in kind of a bizarre play and uh, launched himself into the air and landed um, weird and hit his head on the turf. And uh, so he didn't come back out for the third quarter. So it was Brian Maurer uh, under center, but it wasn't really, it wasn't his fault. What was happening. It, they, they were handing it off to gray who's awesome and had an awesome first half uh, behind a, uh, let's see, five times five, a 24 star offensive line uh, that was having great success the first half. And all of a sudden they couldn't do anything. So I don't know. It was just, uh, I, I think Gray said that uh, they made some adjustments where they started slanting toward him. Uh, he also didn't use it as an excuse saying that uh, it wasn't anything that we hadn't seen before. And it's, you know, it's our fault. I need, I need to do better. Uh, but still, you know, I just, I don't know what happened. You know, it's just weird. Yeah. And I think I'm looking at the play-by-play -play stuff now from after Maurer came in. I think that's some of, when I talk about aggressiveness, some of it is going back to entire sequences against Alabama where um, Tennessee just too conservative. And, and Pruitt, uh, when he talks about these things, um, I, I'm fine. You know, if a coach wants to lie to me in the post-game presser, that's fine. It's not the first time I've been lied to in the post-game presser just makes it harder to figure out what's actually going on here. When he says things like against Alabama, we're running it on third and five because we feel like we were in four down territory. Well, not when you punt on the very next play. So um, when you don't try to get points at the end of the first half against Alabama um, and then that, that whole sequence at the end of the game, I have ESPN trying to, give me a commercial here on my play-by-play. -play. Uh, yeah. The Home the Home Depot uh, will do something for you on Black Friday. Uh, that whole sequence at the end of the game, I mean, the lack of urgency, Arkansas is trying to keep you in it. They fumble, they do those things, um, but they just, they coached it with no urgency at the end. Uh, and I think this is another old Butch Jones point. From a fan perspective, the worst thing you can do as a coach, not the worst thing you can do, I'm sure the worst thing you can do, you know, punch a player in the face or something like that. But the worst, the worst thing you can do in terms of fans getting upset about things is mess up when you go for two, mess up timeouts and mess up, you know, should I kick a field goal here or not? Because we said this five years ago after the Florida game with Butch Jones in Gainesville, 
I don't know anything about X's and O's compared to these coaches, uh, you know, nothing about recruiting. There are so many ways in which these guys are a bajillion light years smarter than me in football, but me and a whole, whole, whole bunch of Tennessee fans have put in so many reps on Madden and NCAA football. We know when to go for two. We know when to take timeouts and we know when to kick a field goal and when not to. And so when you mess up something like that and then say in the post game, Oh, we weren't close enough though. Your kicker made a 50 and a 48 yarder and it was a 42 yarder. Like just, just, yeah, that's not helping. Yeah. Remotely. So, so the, the lack of urgency, uh, I think I, I'm not the first half of the, of the game, but yeah, if you're going to put Maurer in, let, you know, let him run. If you're going to put Harrison Bailey in, either put him in sooner or don't encourage him to throw the check down six times in a row when you need two possessions. I mean, it just, there was no, there was no urgency. And that to me is a big red flag. Are we trying to win the game or not? <laughs> and and that that was troublesome, very troublesome to me. Yeah. All right. So I have this like laundry list of things that I'm upset about and want to talk about. Um, but we keep hitting on the the one or two things where I actually am going to sort of try to defend the team and what happened yesterday. So just interesting as a contrary. Uh, possible alternative explanation here now I think he's clearly not being uh straight with you when he says I didn't kick the field goal because we were I didn't think we were close enough I think I think that was just you know I, I gotta say something here because they'd already kicked two that were longer right so I you know I raised my eyebrows at that too but here's the thing here, here's my view of the field goal at that point you need a field goal and a touchdown right so you need a two-point conversion. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you're looking at fourth and three and you're, you're looking at the reality of fourth and three versus some fantasy of it may being um, easier later, um, and it, then I can see it being reasonable to go ahead and, and go for the uh, first down there. Because you, you're going to need a touchdown at some point anyway. And I would think that it would be easier to get a touchdown um, when you have an option um, than when the other team knows that you have to do it. And it's easier to get a – maybe I didn't say that right. It's easier to get a field goal the second time. It's easier to get into field goal range with, with less time remaining. So I'm thinking that. And then here's the main thing. And I think everybody's forgetting this unless I'm just wrong and don't remember it right. But it worked. There was pass interference on that play, and they should have had a first down. And they should have been able to keep going. So I'm not really down on the team for that. Um, I think that was maybe the right call. Now, I think he was trying, you know, was, he was doing some gymnastics to try to explain it afterwards. But anyway, so that, that, that's my view on that. Um, and then, I, I hadn't really thought too much about this, but Harrison Bailey, if there's a silver lining, um, that dude is programmed to throw to who's open. <laughs> right. So well, the worst, the worst, like the worst thing about that is he's, he's Tennessee's leading passer on the night. Like <laughs> yeah. statistically Tennessee's leading passer on the game is Harrison Bailey. Uh, but you're, I, I had that thought too. I was like, well, they don't need to coach him to take the check down. He's, he's taking the check down <laughs> every single time. And, you know, they also didn't really have an opportunity to say, Hey dude, 
we're down two scores, you know, because they had to go. They had to roll. They, they couldn't get a message to him. Um, now, we probably should have known, but he's a freshman, you know, and okay. So it, it probably wasn't going to happen anyway. Uh, but anyway, then let me talk about some things that I, uh, that are uh, uncomfortable for me to say. Remember when we were, it was the probably the preseason um, and Pruitt was complaining about the defensive line, right? And we were like, well, what's, what's up? You know, these are the same guys. Did they get worse? What, what's up? And then we, we, we said, well, what's changed? And what had changed is new defensive line coach, Jimmy Brumbaugh. And we said, well, you know, is that the problem? Hypothetically speaking, right? Turns out Pruitt thought that was the problem. And uh, he, he remedied that. Whether he's right or not, we'll find out later. Um, but now let me ask a different question. Um, this offensive line has been lauded and heralded by everybody. And for good reason. Like I said before, it's a 24-star offensive line. Everybody on that line is a five-star except for one guy. You don't get more talent than that right? And yet they're not really living up to that reputation yet. So I know that Pruitt loves Will Friend. He's the offensive line coach, right? But do we have a problem there with Will Friend? I don't know. I'm just asking, hypothetically speaking. Legions, legions of paying message board subscribers would agree with you from the rooftops. Okay. Yes. Um, so I can't yeah. tell you, by the way, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I can't tell you how much healthier my post game is now that I don't read the message boards or Twitter after a game. Cause I just know it's on, I just, you know. Yeah. I, and, and I'm, I'm the same way. Like I, I, um, I curated, uh, an election year is a good year to curate a healthy Twitter list for yourself. Uh, so I, I did that on Tennessee's side of things too. Um, when I go on the message boards, I, I, I am looking for, you know, the paid staff at, yeah, at Valquest. Um, but also, you know, a couple of folks that I read regularly and, and just kind of the tone I'm, I'm believe me. Uh, it was not uh, a criticism. I, I was just saying, I, I was, I, that's why I had missed that because I had, I had been enjoying my post game time without that. Yeah. If, if you just look at the subject lines on things without even clicking through them, yeah, that's a that's a big issue. The the um, I don't even know they teased it, and I don't even know if they went back to it in the broadcast last night. But it was it, um, this it was behind the paywall at Volquest, but it was on Friday. So I, I apologize to the folks at Volquest if I'm giving away your information a few days later. But that you know, Will Friend was in. Uh, he had a, a false positive. He was out for COVID early in the week. So Philip Fulmer ran the offensive line. I think Monday and Tuesday in practice and Brent Hubbs had a, a tidbit about that. They got the best of the defensive line, which is coached by the current head coach. So, um, you know, that in message board world immediately, that's like if Fulmer can come in from the administrative offices and coach these guys for two days and they're getting the best of the defensive line, we have a problem somewhere, <laughs> you know? So, um, uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 th I think if we're trying to be as generous as we can to the offensive line, the backs have been 
terrible in pass protection. Uh, Garantano is approaching 40 career appearances for Tennessee. We know who he is and, and has had some issues with holding the ball too long and that sort of thing. But yeah, they when, when any threat of a downfield passing game is there, they can get theirs in the running game, especially when they're not playing Georgia. Uh, so that still would be my hope Saturday against Texas A&M is that they can get yards. So Tennessee's trying to create explosive plays. That doesn't have to be Garantano throwing it down a sideline. They can get that in the running game, but there has to be some threat. Um, you, you know, if you think about the teams Tennessee really pounded it on last year, uh, the, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, who could not score for their life on Tennessee. So the, even though there was not a huge threat there in, in the passing game, Mississippi State wasn't scoring any points either. And then the Kentucky game unfolded in very similar fashion. It was whatever, 14 to 13 or 17 to you know 14, that sort of thing. You got in a lot of these ugly kinds of games. And against Missouri, they threw it all over the yard. And against South Carolina, they had uh, two special teams touchdowns. So really the the ground and pound success of this offensive line at least last year was really only against bad teams or games that were so ugly that it's just kind of that's just kind of Mississippi State and Kentucky that's just kind of what it was um so I, you know Missouri I, I would put that in the category of new coach week two certainly caught him at the right time um and I think they could do it to Vanderbilt, but uh, they, they can do it successfully against A&M and Auburn and Florida. They, they, you just got to have the, the compliment has got to be there um, to, to help with that process. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the slant routes. Uh, you know, Gary Danielson. Um, hi, Gary, in case you're ever listening. Um Really, really bothers me. Um, I think it's only or primarily because uh, he uh, he's been you know presiding over calling Tennessee games when they've been bad. You know, so he's just been forced to say bad stuff about Tennessee for too many years, and I've had to listen to him. Right, um, guy is really knowledgeable though, even though he's kind of. Uh, abrasive to his co-hosts sometimes um he really knows what he's talking about and that uh that point that he had during the broadcast where he caught the uh defensive back cheating to the inside um i thought was really interesting you know it's like it's like in basketball when you force a ball handler to his offhand you know um but i wonder you know, because they never went back to it and they started getting gashed again. Um, but I wonder if the counter to that is really dangerous. Because if you force him to go outside, is he just that much more open and there's nobody, no help out there? Is the point actually to try to force him inside so that you got more help there? I don't know. Um, but they, they have to figure that out because that this is a real problem. Um, although I also wonder, you know, and maybe the message boards say something about this that I haven't seen, but what, what is up with Schamberger? Um, he was MIA, um, no explanation. And he was, he was the star or one of the stars of the defense last year. Really good. Um, I know that when he has seen the field this year, he hasn't been as good, but he's gotta be our best nickel. 
And, and I would think that the nickel would be primarily responsible for those slant rods out, out of the slot. I don't know, but I'm guessing. Um, so you have any thoughts on any of that stuff? That whole position, uh, and, and I guess the whole secondary, I mean, the secondary has just been bad um, all, all year. Um, you know, Schamberger, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. And maybe just in the doghouse, I, you know, he's, he's wasn't there yesterday for reasons unknown. You know, the week one, we spent a lot of time talking about the Nico Slaughter, and I'm not sure I've seen him since then out there. So he was your your backup option week one. They didn't have Alante Taylor either last night. He was hurt. Um, and I think that hurt him. And the point about, you know, if you, you lean too heavy on the slant, you can get beat over the top. And that's exactly what happened uh, in the third quarter last night. Uh, Keyshawn Lawrence is their high, I think their highest rated recruit this year, but they've had to move him around a couple different places to try to fill gaps. Um, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of guys back there that Theo Jackson, Trevon Flowers, Jalen McCullough, a lot of these guys that, you know, have flashed at various points that you get excited about, but not a lot of consistency at all um, from these folks. And I think um, there, there is a worrying concern in here to me about who's getting better on this team. And, you know, the guys that got better last year were, were Butch Jones guys that Nigel warrior, they didn't get better under Butch Jones, but they got better under Jeremy Pruitt. So it makes me wonder, you know, what is there a, is there a misevaluation here on a massive level where these guys are just not necessarily getting better. I, I think Bryce Thompson is, is more consistent than he was as a freshman, but you, you should be more consistent than you were as a freshman, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, the secondary is, is a mess. And when you pair it with not being able to get to the quarterback and, and then the weirdness of all of a sudden they're all over the quarterback in the fourth quarter, which, you know, let's not, let's, let's give them credit for making an adjustment or whatever that was. But, you know, if you can't put those things together, uh, A&M will, will tor and Florida will, will torch this defense the same way Alabama did. So um, I, I don't have any answers to any of that. I think that, again, we you try to think about these guys and who they are. You know, Pruitt, defensive guy, doesn't want to give up big plays. Tennessee's best in the country at that last year at not giving up big plays. But this year, you try to do it the same way, and you can't get pressure on the quarterback, and you're just getting eaten alive by that slant route, which isn't a big play, but it's a first down. It, you know, anytime somebody wants it, it's it's highly efficient against your defense. Um, I just think that's creating all kinds of problems. Now, uh, advanced stats and SP Plus and all that will tell you that the offense is so much more a problem than the defense that, you know, maybe – the defense has had some stretches of really excellent football. The first half against Kentucky was stupendous. And at the time, I thought season-saving football from Tennessee's defense. That it wasn't there in the second half. Pitched a shutout in the first half. Um, pitched a shutout in three quarters last night, um, which is really strange. Defense was great against Georgia for long stretches. They just got asked to do too much um, in that game. Great against Missouri. Uh, so... I, th I think there's – that's what I wonder about is there before we start nitpicking and diving into, are these guys actually getting better and trying to find the answers, 
there are just so many more questions on offense to me um, that you, you know, maybe if you're trying to be hopeful, maybe if you, golly, if you've solved some of those problems on offense and, and put a spark back in this thing, you've, you've seen the, the elements of the defense put together some good football. You know, even after Georgia, we were talking about, could this be the second best defense in the SEC? Maybe there's no such thing as a good defense in the SEC right, right now. Um, that could be true too. But Tennessee, again, is, there's no, no rest in this business because uh, you're getting ready to have to, to face a much better offense next week now. All right, so here's me being hopeful again. All right, just – Good, good. Just, we need it. Just a theor uh, – what do you call that when you're doing uh, tests in chemistry? You're testing a theorem, I guess. A hypothesis. Hypothesis. That's what I'm looking for. All right, so I, I can't remember where I heard this. It must have – it must have been on Pruitt's presser because that's the only thing that I've heard him talk on. But somebody asked him some question, I don't remember what it was, but he started going on this dissertation uh, about defense. And he was using all these terms that I'd never heard before. And I've been, I've been you know, watching football and paying attention and writing about football a lot for a long time. Um, but he was, you know, I can't remember what the terms were. Pattern matching. If you're going to poach, you're going to do this. You know, they need to know whether they're going to do all these things. And, and it was like 60 seconds of jargon that I, I had no clue about. Right. So my point is, this is too complicated in a pandemic year when you got players going in and going out and substituting. Um, and is it, is it just the wrong time? Because let's look at some other data. The Arkansas, who brand new install, they have to be super simple out of necessity. And yet Pruitt and his guys are in year three where they're still, they're not Alabama, they're not Georgia, um, they're still learning. So um, if one or two little things go wrong, it looks terrible. And then let's look at Georgia yesterday against Florida. They were missing four or five guys. Those guys can miss one or two or three. But you remember, I don't know if you saw the game, but they, they quoted uh, Smart as saying, I'm not worried about communication. These guys all know what they're supposed to do. And you know what? They screwed up communication a bunch yesterday. So there's, there's my theorem. This is not a good year for a complicated defense, and that's what Pruitt's trying to install. What do you think? That would make me hopeful for sure. I think uh, the more games we see, the easier it becomes for me to say, uh, now I could be wrong about this, certainly I could be wrong about anything, but um, this is a, I'm okay with this being a COVID really thing, like Harrison Bailey. I'm okay, like no spring practice, contact tracing for two weeks. I'm okay with saying, here's why we haven't played him yet. Like I'm totally okay with that. Um, I, I, I did not like and, and wrote that in that piece if we publish it. You know, Pruitt's admitting out loud, hey, we're not going to play this guy before he's ready because I don't want to ruin it. And, and he thinks that's what's happened to Garantano. That's, that's not a valid argument about Garantano, who was a redshirt freshman and lost a job to Quentin Dormandy at the start of the year. It was around the team for a long time. But it's a very valid argument to me with Harrison Bailey. 
problem is now, you know, especially if Garantano can't play, I don't, you don't have any other options unless you just want to get beat by 50 points three times in four games. Um, but that, like, I get that totally. I, I, I'm not here to beat up Jeremy Pruitt for not playing Harrison Bailey up to this point. Um, I think that's fine. And I think there, there's some validity in some of these other things of, of why aren't we seeing more freshmen? Why aren't we seeing freshman wide receivers? It, it is part of this problem with the offense. Guys other than Josh Palmer can't get open or Jalen Hyatt can't get open or Brandon John, you know, maybe that's it too. I think that's some of that's a piece of the puzzle. But one truth about the virus for the most part, when it comes to spring practice, the virus is equal opportunity. You know, everybody had this problem. So um, it, it frustrates me. And again, maybe there's no good defenses in the league this year, and maybe that's part of it. But there's plenty of good offense in this league right now. And again, Tennessee struggles on that side of the ball are, are so much harder. Maybe it was the same thing. Maybe they're, you know, extra year in a system there. Maybe they made it too complicated. I don't know. But, um, you know, like, like I think we all kind of relate to the virus questions. Like this is a rare thing uh, that, you know, every single one of us for the most part has had to make adjustments in our lives. So I find, you know, um, maybe it's ironic to say as a pastor, but maybe I could be more gracious about that. Cause I, I, I come at it from a place of being frustrated with churches that just absolutely positively want to go back to the way it was and, and wine, wine's probably not the right word, but, but spend a lot of time and energy on that instead of saying like, look, here's a new thing with new opportunities and let's do that. Um, so it, it's going to be hard at the end of the year to say, oh, well, the virus and all kinds of things, because teams are having success um, with this. And, and um, if you made poor choices in, in what to install or what to do or whatever, that is obviously, you know, catastrophic, but here's your chance. You got a freshman quarterback. You can simplify things this week. You had a bye week. <laughs> You had a bye week and had, for the most part, you know, your whole your whole team hasn't had an issue with COVID since fall camp. So um, I'm okay with that being a, a, a reason for some things, but especially when it comes to practice related stuff, I just, you know, it's an equal opportunity situation. Everybody had issues with this and I don't see everybody struggling with the, the magnitude that Tennessee is, is struggling with it right now. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um... I do wonder about a couple of things, you know, everybody has to deal with it, but I think they, um, it's also sort of unique to each situation. Um, for instance, Clemson lost their, or didn't have their Heisman trophy, uh, uh, quarterback for the most important game of the season and Notre Dame did, you know, um, so that's just one small little difference. Um, also I kind of, you know, I kind of understand where, um, Pruitt's coming from with regard to Garantano, if that's, you know, really what he said and really what he meant. And I know what you're saying that it's, you know, Garantano actually got on the field, you know, at a different time, you get a better memory than I do. So, um, Again, I'm, I'm blessed with a poor memory. So what I'm thinking <laughs> is 
Garantano spent the, the early part of his career just getting shell-shocked, just getting beat up. And so, you know, he's, he's had years, at least two years, I think, of conditioning, of playing behind a bad offensive line. And so what bad habits do you learn um, during that time that are really hard to unlearn? Um, and, and is there something maybe about um, this whole being shell-shocked and developing sort of a, a losing mentality. And I'm going to get philosophical here. Um, one of the things I, I watch football for is I just love these guys. You know, um, I'm not just watching them for my own satisfaction and enjoyment. I like to see these guys succeed and, and do a bunch of stuff and, and, and overcome adversity and, and, walk into these situations where they can redeem themselves from failure before and, and all this stuff. Okay. So loser mentality. And, and again, I actually appreciate the advantage of losing. That's where I was getting philosophical. I think losing can teach young kids something that is actually helpful for them to have in life. However, Tennessee has had too much losing and not enough of success along the way losing is sort of seasoning right a little bit goes a long way right <laughs> that's you good you don't want to just eat a bowl full of pepper right so um i think that we have an older um uh, class full of people who have for better or worse learned how to lose and that's not helping uh, the team succeed right now. And so I wonder if that's what he was trying to protect Harrison Bailey from, from coming in, you know, keep him fresh, keep him on the bench where he thinks this man, when I get my chance, I'm going to fix all of this <laughs> instead of, instead of getting in a game and, and learning, Oh, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not any better than the rest of these guys, you know? So what do you, I don't know. What do you think about some of that? No, I, I think if he just made the point about Harrison Bailey, I would agree 100%. I, that's Again, that's why I think you don't – I have no problem with him not putting him in the game up up to this point. Now, if Garantano can't play against Texas A&M, you're going to have to play him. Uh, you, you know, Maurer, yeah. um, just, just not at the level that you need to be at to – have consistency and score points just not there um so you're gonna have to play him and and see what happens and you know it it can go different ways the aforementioned five degree vanderbilt game the pakistani post game josh dobbs played worse in that game than any tennessee quarterback other than nathan peterman at florida has ever played <laughs> I, i'm totally serious about this he crompton was bad Clawfence Crompton was bad every Saturday, but for one Saturday, Dobbs, I, I might have to go back and look it up, but, you know, Dobbs threw a Hail Mary on the last drive to try to get downfield, and it was like half of his passing yards for the day. And I remember thinking, it's not a joke, like literally it was half his passing yards for the day. And I remember thinking, this guy is never going to be the answer here. At that point, you know, maybe it's Riley Ferguson, maybe it's it's – 
whoever else that we at that point had in the in the conversation to uh, to come in or 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 healthy Justin Worley the next year or whatever. But it turns out Dobbs was great. That whatever it is about Dobbs um, could have a performance like that as a freshman after getting. I mean Dobbs, you know, got thrown in there at Alabama when Worley got hurt. Then his first start was at Missouri. Then it was Auburn and all those games we just talked about. I mean, Dobbs' first three games were top 10 teams. And then he played so bad against Vanderbilt. Um, uh, but it turns out, you know, that was totally fine. Garantano, um, I, I just, I think, I think that argument might say more about Garantano than it says about quarterbacks in general. Um, which I, I, I'm like you, I, I, I think uh, would have been a terrific story this year. And if he can play, not over. He's still got games against meaningful opponents if, if he can play. Tennessee didn't lose last night because of Jared Garantano whatsoever. I mean, they, they lost because he was not in the game. Uh, they didn't lose because he was in the game. But, um, you know, I, I think that situation, just totally different. Going back to um, – I was at the game and didn't see it, but that, that business on the sideline in the Georgia tech game, uh, you know, being off by himself or whatever that we was in that game when Quentin Dormady was, was got all the snaps um, to, yeah, his first start was at number one, Alabama and Tennessee didn't score any offensive points uh, and then didn't score a touchdown, I believe against South Carolina uh, the, the next game. So like he had a rough start in that 2017 offense. But this 2020 offense right now is worse play for play because they don't have the, the, that Georgia tech performance and a lot of that Florida performance on the books. Um, so I think that's just, uh, I, I think that is part of the picture of what we know about Jared Garantano here in 35 or 36 games. And there's, there's plenty of good. We have written this plenty of good about Garantano as well. Um, treated very unfairly when it comes to people's perceptions of his turnovers and, and that sort of thing. Um, I just, I feel like that particular point says more about him, but for Bailey, I get it totally. I just, if Garantano can't play, you just got to play him. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's, he's got the highest ceiling. And if you have to play somebody other than Garantano, that's where you're at is, is you're looking at the future anyway. So. Yeah, that's right. Um, prayers for uh, Maurer, though, too, who's had a rough week and uh, was hoping for something good for him last night. And I, I thought that they did, um, uh, you know, it happened to Stetson Bennett in the Georgia game uh, yesterday where that dude um, had was a, was a great story for Georgia fans. Uh, but, um, you know, good, good stories tend not to beat great teams. Unfortunately, it seems Florida is a great team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's – there's look, these guys are the ones putting the pads on and taking the hits and doing more for Tennessee than I ever will. Uh, so even somebody like Maurer, when we say, I just, I just don't think it's there. Some of that's on the coaches, too, to, to, you know, get the backup more ready. And I know you didn't have practice, and I know all this stuff, but everybody didn't have practice. So, you know, we, we got we to gotta do better there. You got to develop better, uh, there for sure. Yeah. Uh, one more, uh, silver lining. Actually, it might be the only silver lining. I can't, can't remember where we're at, but, uh, 
I was super impressed with uh, Eric Gray and Henry Toto after the game. These guys either drew the short straw or they just, you know, are the most qualified to get trotted out after a hard game and take the microphone and, and say all the right things. Because, man, these guys are like, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, right? And they work so hard and they uh, succeed or, in this case, fail in front of hundreds of thousands of people uh, who are probably uh, DMing them um, directly. Um, and then they get a microphone st stuck in their face and asked about it. You know, let's, let's talk about your failures in front of a hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands of different people. And like I said, man, if this would have happened to me in 18, 22, there is zero doubt. I would have said something that I would have regretted. You know, I mean, I just don't know how you, how you handle that. And they do it with such class. So high five to those guys, man, because what a tough job and what a great job they did in, in the post game. So that's just my two cents on them. Those guys can play too. Credit to Otoo, uh, who uh, Alabama made him look bad at some times. Yeah. But he responded sensationally well. Every time – I told my wife this watching the game – Every time somebody flashed in and made a play, and I thought, ah, who was that? It was Toe Toe every time. Every it, time. Flash is a perfect word, too, because, man, he, he'll be in one spot, and the next minute he'll be in a different spot. Yeah, so he's – he's. I know he had a rough game against Alabama's five-star offense, but, uh, I mean, he he was sensational yesterday. And, and those dudes are sophomores. Uh, those are guys that are going to be here next year uh, in, in theory uh, and, and all that good stuff. Um, you know, that's that's another – we get a one-time transfer situation for everybody, which is what was being talked about before, um, then, you know, that's, it's, you don't want to be, you want things to get turned around at Tennessee uh, before that happens. So, um, yeah, I think, I think these guys, that's what makes it so hard to figure out. They were so resilient in the back half of last season. Yeah. And, and none of those games, Tennessee was behind, Tennessee started behind, against South Carolina on the first play, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Tennessee gave up the first points in all four of those games and then won them. And then famously was statistically dead to rights against Indiana and, and won. Um, so that I think is what is, is part of the frustration is, man, such resilience last year, week after week after week after week. And then to see it just go so poorly, especially in the second half this year, week after week after week after week. Um, I, I, I am struggling greatly with that. And I don't think, you know, uh, the easy, the lowest hanging fruit is Juwan Jennings, right? We need, we need Juwan Jennings. That's, that's who's making a difference and, and all that stuff. And I think, first of all, that's, that's always too much to put on one player, unless maybe it's the quarterback. And two, Jennings was on, you know, he was he was around for bad seasons and moments the year before that, and, and Tennessee didn't necessarily get it turned around. So, um, you know, th those are the things that concern me the most is where's, uh, where's the urgency from the coaching staff down? Um, 
you know, that quote earlier in the year about we, we don't, we're not going to coach with fear. We're not going to live in fear um, has not been true the last few weeks. Um, so uh, that's, that's very concerning. Uh, but again, maybe if we're looking for silver linings, maybe, I mean, Hey, you got nothing to lose at, at this point uh, because if you don't do it with some urgency, Texas A&M is going to blow you away anyway. So you, you might as well go down swinging in this one um, and, and not do – it should have gone down swinging more against Alabama and did not. Um, so don't – at the top of my wish list for this game Saturday, don't repeat those mistakes. Go down swinging. It, you know, let, let these guys learn. And if Bailey gets in and if Garantano can't play and Bailey gets in and it's so bad and he throws – three interceptions. Okay. Then put Maurer in, you know, like I'm not saying leave Harrison Bailey out there, like some pitcher that's to give up all the runs and let him just eat it and move on to the next week. Um, but, but, you know, by all for, for all dollars and cents, Jeremy Pruitt's going to be the coach at Tennessee next year. And Harrison Bailey should have the opportunity, every opportunity to be the starting quarterback. So, you know, get, protect him. Sure. But if you're going to play him, play him, throw, you know, put him out there and, and throw the ball and, and, you know, try to win these games. I, I, I know there's a more eloquent way to say that, and that's very frustrating, but that, you know, coach play with more urgency. Um, that, that to me is, is just among the most frustrating stuff. Yeah. Speaking of uh, A&M, they, uh, I think they opened as what a 14 point favorite and now are 12 or something. No, it was 12 is what it opened at. So, so if it's 14 now, it's not, I mean, that's not surprising. 12 doesn't, if you watch Tennessee play and you, and you watch their offense in particular, 12 doesn't feel, especially in a non home field advantage year, I mean, 12 doesn't feel like a lot. I feel like if, if we lost by 12, I think we would be coming back here next Sunday saying, all right, like, this is good. This is progress, you know? Yeah. And I, I think you, you put in this post that hasn't been published yet that uh, SP plus is probably going to have it at what? 16. My, uh, my machine says 29. Yeah. Um, well, it, I think it's, it, it's, you, it's, it's uh, this thing. I mean, this thing went like 36 and 12 this week or something. And, you know, and it was a good week for everybody, but, um, I, I, when I saw that, I went back and actually looked at the numbers to see if they make sense. And they do. Um, Tennessee shouldn't score more than like 16 points based on what they've done recently. And A&M's going to score 45. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and that part, the 45 part is not, uh, again, uh, we spent so much time the last time we were together, which was after there was a Braves game seven in there. There was, there, we didn't do the podcast for a couple of weeks here, yeah. but the last time we were together was after Georgia when we were talking about, okay, let's see what this offense can do when they're not playing Georgia's, you know, best in 10 years defense. Turns out Georgia's defense gets shredded too. And I know they were missing some guys against the Gators, but Bama got them too. Yep. So football at least in the sec has just changed in this moment of the good def usually you take the good defense against a good offense or at least i would not this year yeah um so Saban's on board with that this year yeah 
Yeah, that's that's the uh, well, and again, this gets into you know tantalizing ideas for for Tennessee fans and low points. And they talked to this Hugh Freeze is what got him out of that. That Ole Miss went down there and put forty plus on them three years in a row with Ole Miss. I know some of those guys were, uh, which is always part of the Hugh Freeze conversation because a lot of those guys were there uh, illegally at Ole Miss, but they were it was still it was Ole Miss did that to them. So. Um, that too is part of the Pruitt conversation. You cannot coach it like it's 2009 or 2012 or, you know, whatever the case may be. But that's, and that's really hard, I'm sure, for a defensive-minded coach. That's but, what's so frustrating, though, is that he got Chaney. And Chaney's resume suggests that he's one of those guys. He can put up points. Yep. Yeah. Did it here with Tyler Bray. Yeah. yeah. Um, did it here with, with a bad defense with Tyler Bray. So, yeah, my, my concern is not, like, when we say Texas A&M is going to get 45 on Tennessee, like, I'm, I'm not overly alarmed by that. Um, we said when they played Bama, hey, you know, you can hold Bama to 31 and feel like you did a terrific job. And that, that probably will be true against A&M, too. But Tennessee's got – you've got to score. You're going to have to score in this league or you're going to – this year, right now, um, and probably next year too, because things don't change that quickly. So y- you gotta, you have to coach that way. Um, and and again, probably very difficult for a defensive-minded, risk, you know, turnover-averse coach that want, doesn't want to put his defense in a bad spot. Um, but there was an aggression and some urgency in the first three games that has has just um, gone away. And, and, again, some of that is Garantano's mistakes. Some of that is pass protection. Uh, but you you need to rediscover it and at least go down swinging. Because um, the only way you're, you're – swinging is the only way you're going to beat these guys uh, unless something weird happens. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, I, I think that I, – I, I don't know that they would agree with the word, like, fear because I think that they are just like look you know we we saw him we've thrown we've made a lot of turnovers thrown a lot of interceptions and uh, if we just keep doing that we're just dumb you know so you don't want to be so fearless that you're that you're an idiot you know Um, but you're right I mean when the other teams are scoring that many points you got to take chances and the difference is we need the Garantano who can actually do it because he's shown in the past that he can do it. Um, and maybe, maybe Bailey, if he has to play, um, maybe, maybe he can do it if you give him a chance to throw it uh, and there's not eight defenders, you know, taking away the passes you want. Um, so we'll see, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, we need, we need to have, we need to be a little more risk taking at this point in the season. I mean, if we're trying to play safe and, 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 uh, you know, protect the games we think we should win early in the season. Okay. But we're past that point now. And so we need, we need to get rolling. We need to, uh, we need to get better uh, for the future. So anything you want, we got to sign off here in a little bit, but anything you want to say before we uh, head out? Can, can you rate or, or rank, I'm trying to find the right word. Like what, what is, how would you compare the way you feel now to various other points. And I know we talked about individual games like to 2012 Florida or, or you know, Vanderbilt or whatever, but um, 
how how would you compare how you feel now to other points in the last 12 years because i um like i said i i am finding myself just um struggling to find like where is where, where is this going you know um and some of the i i honestly do think some of that is the is the pandemic uh some some of that not in the sense of like oh everything is bad and worse but um there's a need for um needing to be honest about the reality of the situation is is valuable uh in such a time as this so like i i feel like that um i'm i am more aware of that than before uh, and some of it is, I mean, SP plus bears it out that this team right now, this week would be an underdog to any Tennessee team you want to pick in the last 12 years. So it's not just me and being less optimistic and more realistic in the midst of a pandemic, but that, you know, that's, that's me. And, and we're, anybody that listens to us knows we, you know, we are, we lean into optimism mostly. So, you know, can you rate it? Can you place it in terms of, the, the frustration or whatever you feel now compared to, you know, other points in the last 12 years or so. Yeah. I, my notoriously bad memory is going to prevent me from actually having a rating because I have to remember the others. Right. But <laughs> right. Uh, I, I will say that uh, the way I'm feeling right now is, um, is like deja vu. It's, it's like, Oh no, are we going down this path again? Um, I know that he's he's probably got more time than uh, the other guys that we had. I just I I abhor change just because things are hard, um, and I think, you know, I. I mean, in hindsight, I think you got to conclude that uh, getting rid of Dooley was the right thing. Getting rid of Jones was the right thing, but man, every time you do that, you're starting over. Um, unless you unless you go from unless you're going to be committed to to getting that guy like Mullen or Fisher or going out and getting somebody that's that's you know proven um so my feeling right now is on the one hand oh no here we go again even though i think we're probably at the beginning of a two year here we go again and i don't want to do that um I do not want to do that again. Um, so because I lean into being hopeful, what I'm thinking, and I think there's objectively something to this, that we're all making a mistake by putting a little too much stock in this weird year. Things are just weird. And, you know, we're talking about Cheney's supposed to be, you know, in his second year, this is what he does. And you know what? He's not doing it but is it because he's not doing it or because it's not a second year? Yeah, I, I think, I think all that's well said. And I agree. I, I think that is no matter who you are, what you believe or how you lean a baseline silver lining on, on some things is the virus to say, look, this, this is weird. This is strange. Nothing broke the way we thought it would specifically with Harrison Bailey, like we talked about. Yeah. So I, I think that's there for, for, for some things. I just, I find like, as it relates to the experience of watching Tennessee the last 12 years, when, when the Saturday experience has been this frustrating, it frustrating is not true because it's frustrating to lose. It's, it's most frustrating to lose when you're good 
Um, but when the Saturday experience has felt least hopeful to me has been the, the middle of after Tyler Bray got hurt, he's got a broken thumb after Tyler Bray got hurt in, in 2011 and they were playing Sims and Worley against number one, Alabama and number two, LSU and number eight, Arkansas. And, and, um, all of that, like just, just knowing going into those games, this is going to be very bad for us. And then it was, but the silver lining there was, Oh, these guys are going to get health. Bray's going to get healthy. Justin Hunter's going to be back next year, all that stuff. So there was at least that. And the only other times that it's been this bad was the end of the Butch Jones era when you knew all right, this guy's going to get fired. Like this, this isn't going to work. So in those moments, you could disassociate from what was happening by saying, well, yeah, you know, yeah, we lost to Kentucky, but hey, we're moving on. You know, we lost Vanderbilt, but we're moving on. Um, or in a coach's first year where no matter what happens, you you say this is year one or whatever. So to be in year three and with the exception of, of Garantano going down last night to not, you know, injuries are, are not part of this equation. Maybe we should just substitute the virus for injuries and say that. But then also to say the reality of the virus means that we're not approaching, I don't think, and I don't, people smarter than me don't seem to think, you know, we're not approaching, okay, this guy's going to get fired because the athletic department is, you know, tens of millions of dollars in the hole. So that's, that's just where I, I think that's kind of the best. And I've said it once, I think is where is this going? You know, where is this going? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. It doesn't appear to be going anywhere different in the in the short term and and i agree i mean we should know by now uh if you're not gonna pay huge um and, and tennessee after all that mess last time wasn't in a position to, to do this i know it's my job to defend fulmer but like pruitt's about the best we were gonna do uh in in that moment in time um but if you're not gonna pay jimbo uh or or these guys i don't think tennessee is especially not now then you're taking a chance or the, the, the idea everybody's in love with today is Hugh Freeze, who carries a mountain of NCAA baggage. Mm -hmm. So, and not, uh, just, not just NCAA baggage, but some other can I root for this guy kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's a whole, we could, we could have a whole separate conversation about that too. Um, but like, so yeah, like there's not, there's not an easy out. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's just kind of my sense is, which is a product of the moment, man. Where is this going is a very 2020 question. So, um, but I, I just, I find myself asking myself that right now and not having an answer for it more than at any point in the last 12 years. And, you know, SP plus, which I love backs it up that right now this team would be an underdog to any of these other Tennessee teams Yeah, um, at the, at the end of the year. So like 2011, you still get Bray against Cincinnati and Bray at the end of the year, they might not be an underdog to Matt Sims in the middle of 2011. Um, they might not be an underdog to Garantano at the end of 2017, but you know, the, the fullness of all that. So anyway, I think that's, um, you know, we're, <laughs> We're not, and I've really, I think, said everything I wrote in this podcast by now to say, like, 
not going anywhere. Like I love Tennessee. I'm, I'm here to try to figure out what this is about and how to love Tennessee well and extraordinarily grateful for basketball. Yeah. Uh, but I just, where's this going? Um, yeah. And that, that's a really debilitating feeling. Um, I don't know if you remember, you may remember better than me, uh, what, uh, um, edition of the magazine was but I, I one of the letters of the editor I, I described this scene out of a movie called a family thing which is a really interesting movie by the way it's uh james earl jones and and uh oh shoot i've forgotten the guy's name I'll, I'll have to put it in the in the post notes or something but this this uh this older white actor and they discovered that they're brothers right and uh, anyway, there's this scene in there where he tells this long story and it's like, it seems like a non sequitur, but he talks about this guy who used to take his wife to the other town every week, uh, you know, just to get her a little something. And uh, the, the gist of the story was um, being happy ain't nothing but having something to look forward to. Mm. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. And when you don't know where things are going and you kind of suspect that they're not going to place any place that will give you something to look forward to, that that's, that's a really, that feeling sucks. Right. So yeah, that that's, that's kind of what we're feeling right now, but you know what? I mean, sports is weird, especially in 2020, you know, we we're saying 5%, right. That's was that your uh, expected win total. 5% against Florida, 5% chance to win against Florida. It's 5%, you know, it might happen. I gave him eight against A&M because five, five is always, like that was always the lowest I went. Even in, in other down years when they would play Bama, I would be like five, it's one in 20. Like we, you know, one in 20, we could do it and had a, had a one in 20 kind of chance last year against those guys. So I gave him eight against A&M um, and I think 10 against Auburn. But um yeah, I, and I think that's true. We talked about this in the hire that when, when in the midst between Shiano and Pruitt, when they wanted to hire, uh, uh, what's his name at NC State? Dorn. Uh, yeah, to be like, no, you have to hire Hope. Like, you, you can't, we already know who this guy is. Yeah. Uh, you may hire someone else, which is what they did, that we don't know what he is in Jeremy Pruitt, but we can at least hope that he is something else. We already, we already know who Dave Dorn is. So, yeah. um, but you may get it, you know, um, either way, I'm, I'm going to the game on Saturday. I'm driving down. I'm going to the game on Saturday. Um, so either you're going to get healthy Garantano, or hopefully healthy, not semi-healthy, but actually healthy Garantano, and see if they'll take a shot. Or you're going to get the most data on Harrison Baylor that you've ever had. So there's at least that, uh, even if you have to call it curiosity, like there, there is that. Um, but the problem this year is what, what looked like opportunity a, a week ago even now is like, oh, crap, we got to do this against A&M, Auburn, and Florida, three out of the last four. So, um, and now because you lost to Kentucky and Arkansas, now it's not like, man, if we get one of those, because, you know, it just um, – that, that would – getting one of those would still leave you at four and six. Yeah. So 
Yeah. That's one of the most depressing things is how long has it been since we've been able to really care about the SEC race? I mean, it's been a long time. And when we used to be able to watch the games between the other teams and have a rooting interest because we wanted to jump them or, or we wanted them to lose so that we could finish above them in the standings. And with, you know, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, we haven't been able to do that. And that sucks too. Right. Yeah. And I, I, um, I spent two weeks during the election uh, researching and writing that, that post that I put up on Friday before we lost to Arkansas about team talent. Awesome post, by the way. Yeah, but it's not right. Because it's, it's, um, it will just make you if you haven't read it, please read it because I worked really hard on it. And it was even after losing Arkansas, I wrote it before we lost. But even after, it is really helpful contextually to say, look, we're spending a lot of brain power trying to catch Georgia and Florida, but the Georgia and Florida we are trying to catch are way more talented than the ones that we should have caught five years ago. Yeah. Way more. Um, and we need to know that we need to know if at some point we're making a coaching change that continuing to do it this way, you're trying to be an upper half sec team, but you're the least talented team in the upper half. You're not recruiting better than AM, Auburn, LSU, Alabama, Florida, or Georgia. So you're going to try to beat those teams with less talent almost every time you play them. So unless you're going to go into some different schematic kind of thing or, or give yourself an advantage by getting weird, uh, you know, with, with a different kind of offense or something like that, um, you, you're going to be at a disadvantage every time you play these teams on some level. So um, that was already true before Tennessee lost to Arkansas. That, that's the thing. That's, that's another thing that is just, well, another thing that sucks is that, that all that makes sense, perfect logic, but our real problem is we keep losing to teams that don't even have as much talent as we do. Well, and, and I think this is a different podcast and a, a different kind of long-term conversation. I think even if you do it well, which is what I was trying to get out of that post, even if you do it in a way that would feel like improvement, then you're going to be Texas A&M. Yeah. And, and, and maybe Texas A&M is getting ready to level up. That may, we may be witnessing that in person. But before this year, being Texas A&M meant you had even more talent than Tennessee, but you couldn't – without a Heisman quarterback, you can't beat Alabama. You beat LSU once in seven tries, and you beat Auburn twice. Um, you're going to lose three times as much as you win against your rivals. So um, that, that's a lot of eight and four is what that is. And we already know how, how little fun that is. So again, you can't like, you can't, you can't make people be someone that they're not. Because when I wrote that post, when you put it up and look at all that stuff, it makes you look back at four and five years ago and go, that gummit, Butch Jones, why were you not this much better? Why were you not this much better? How different could things have been for Tennessee if Vanderbilt in 13 and Florida in 14 and Oklahoma and Florida in 15 and Vanderbilt or South Carolina in 16, how different could things have been for Tennessee? But ultimately, they were not different because of Butch Jones. And things fell off so hard. Like, you can't, you can't ask him to – Tennessee's problems would not have been solved if they had just made one more play in those games because ultimately Butch Jones would have still been the head coach and he would have still been who he is, um, who is, is a, an individual of, you know – uh, of, of many strengths and all those things, I'm sure, but also just not 
not suited to be the head coach at Tennessee or, or in major SEC institutions. So, um, but like that idea of you were close and you were there and man, you had the quarterback. Let me tell you what, if there's anything that comes out of this year, Josh Dobbs um, was so, so much better than he will ever get credit for at yep. Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, you had, you had the quarterback to do it. Had him, had him for four years to do it. Um, and uh, so that is frustrating, but it's, it's not frustrating because, Oh, Butch Jones should have done it. and still been here. It's frustrating because Florida and Georgia were vulnerable and Tennessee did not take advantage. And those guys are a whole different operation now. And again, some of it is just bad luck and timing. If Jim McElwain ekes out a couple of close games in 2017, maybe Dan Mullen is the coach at Tennessee. Um, I, who knows? If things go differently, Rick Barnes is not the coach at Tennessee, right? So it's it's timing is always a, a part of the process. But um, but we need we need honesty, right? We we need we don't need pessimism. We don't need, you know, everybody that's out there writing today, Jeremy Pruitt needs to go. Like, that's not hard to write. Like that doesn't, that doesn't inform anything. That doesn't help anything. That that's just empty words and noise, but we do need an honest assessment of not just Pruitt, but where Tennessee is and where Tennessee wants to go. And, and again, that I think asking the question is the most honest thing we can do is saying, where, where is this going right now? And, and being uncomfortable with the answer is a very pandemic sort of thing to be doing. That's right. Um, by the way, I added a uh, visual, a, a chart. I saw that. Okay. It was very nice. Yeah. But it, it, it was nice to be able to see, because like you said, it, it doesn't just matter uh, where you're at in the pecking order. It matters how far behind you are in the race. Um, so that, that I think showed that pretty good. By the way, we are uh, working on a record. Uh, we are at almost probably feature length film for this podcast right now. So we're going to wrap it up. Uh, but stay tuned. Check out the blog. Um, this week we'll have um, some additional stuff and uh, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll be singing a different tune uh, next uh, next Sunday night. So uh, that, that's going to do it for this episode of the Game Day at Rocky Top podcast. Appreciate you tuning tuning in. Uh, do us a favor, subscribe, give us a rating, leave us a review. Bonus points if you include the secret phase uh, Robert Duvall, who's the, the the name of the dude that I couldn't think of before. Also, we will also accept uh, urgency as uh, Will's favorite uh, word for the podcast. So for Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. Got to check out that movie. It's a pretty good movie. Once you said Robert Duvall, I can see see the poster. I can picture it. Uh, No, I, 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 theologically, the difference I would make is, you know, the wilderness, they were set free and on the way to the promised land, had freedom and, and you know, by their own blunderings and that sort of thing, ended up wandering for, for 40 years. The pandemic is not our fault, but I think the pandemic is what is putting us into exile now. Like, we can't do anything about this like if look if we lose if we lose to AM by 30 and Auburn by 30 
and lose to Vanderbilt and lose to Florida by 30, I think Jeremy Pruitt's still going to be the coach. Um, and that may even be like that may be the best decision for the University of Tennessee and its football program. But that sucks. And like like that's that to me is the exile component of like we are here against our will, <laughs> um, held captive by a thing that is, is I mean the Old Testament would tell you they sinned and so God sent them off. But like um, it's not like we went from the promised land to exile. It's like we went from the wilderness.